Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel with Elias Randall. Elias, what's going on today? It's cold. I'm cold. It is cold. That's what's going on. Looks like this is like the last uh, the last blast, though. I think tomorrow it's going to be like 7, and then we're up in the, the 30s for the next couple of weeks, which, sadly, that's really nice weather for us in February. It is. Yeah, it is. And uh, I don't know. Other than that, there was... Um, I'm not sure all the topics we're talking about today, but they just had another Fed meeting yesterday and the market kind of rallied afterwards. So hopefully people are feeling a little better. I think everyone's still scared about uh, recessions and stuff like that, but we'll see what happens. I feel like the longer we go, the higher the probability is for the whole soft landing scenario, but we'll, we'll see what happens. What, what I think is very unique about the market action the last two days. And I, you know, this doesn't matter for people who are long-term investors for the most part, but the the Dow Jones is actually negative today. It's down like 300 points right now. And the NASDAQ's up 2.2%. Like risk on is back. And I think it's the assumption that the Fed kind of flipped its entire speak from tough guy, we'll just call it, higher for longer, and they just completely backed off that yesterday. I mean, they just throttled it back. So all these risk assets see this as, hey, Fed's going to potentially pause sooner. All the different emotions that, that run into this. And this is why the market's been bought up going into these Fed meetings for the last four months. If you've watched the market action leading up to the Fed meeting, markets have rallied into the meeting and then they don't get the news they want. The, the you know the bu- the bullish investors don't get the news they want, and then the market sells off. Well, the reason they're buying into this this market going into the Fed meeting is they didn't want to get caught on the wrong side. If the Fed comes out and takes a more dovish tone, and that's what happened. Exactly. Right? Well, kind of what happened. I mean, still once again, the Dow's negative. The S and P's up a little. It's up like one yesterday. It's up three quarters of a percent. But the Nasdaq in the last call it 24 hours is up 5%. Yeah, which is pretty incredible considering considering a lot of the commentary this last year about you know not or technology companies that aren't profitable and high growth companies, but I think what I think really what investors should probably wrap their mind around. So technology companies are going to be a part of the business environment. And the economy and maybe, and I don't think every, I'm sure there's still stocks out there that are probably never going to get to the values that they were at, but there's plenty of technology companies that do make money, um, that there are good reasons to own them. So it's just, you know, it's, it just seems like no matter what happens, you can always look at things like diversification and understanding why that's important to always be diversified. Because if you, if you totally abandon all growth companies in your portfolio, well, the last couple of days you missed out on a, a section of the market that was rallying a little bit. I mean, all these companies who got beat, not all of them, but a lot of these companies that got beat up last year are starting to perform really well. But I had a thought and, and I don't know if there's anything to this, but if the companies that got beat up really bad last year, I would guess there's a fair amount of people had tax losses in those companies. They sold those companies 
let's say, December 20th to take their tax loss for the year. Guess what they could start buying them back up? 30 days later. Yeah. So is that part of what's going on? People just, you know, I, I know I sold some funds last year and took a tax loss. I haven't bought them back yet because I used the capital for something different. But if you took the tax loss and you still had the capital on the sideline and you moved it to a, you know, a treasury bond or whatever you moved it to to keep the money semi-liquid, did you start redeploying back into these asset classes? Because why is it that the NASDAQ is outperforming the last few weeks, everything else? I just, part of me wonders if this isn't, hey, I sold my stuff at a loss. I got to buy it back now because I didn't really want to sell it. just made sense to sell it. That that certainly could be part of it. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. That absolutely could the be part of it. The timing is just coincidental. Yeah, Like about is. the time the NASDAQ and these high-flying companies are taking off again is right about the time people could, if they took a tax loss, could start getting back into them. Yeah, they could. And I guess one of the things I've been thinking about recently is, you know, there's decent alternatives to, or there are reasonable alternatives to owning equities right now, especially for more senior conservative investors. So that's something I've been kind of jostling around with is, well, how much of the money, because there's still a decent amount of money on the sideline, but, you know, is that money going to come back? I feel like there's maybe a decent chance um, because really, I mean, if rates go to, it, it would depend on how high they go, but I feel like there's enough people and enough savvy investors. I feel like retail investors are savvier now than they ever have been that even older, um, investors I think are willing to come back into the market just with maybe not as early as some other people, like maybe if there's just a little more certainty. So as fears of recession and things like that go away. I mean, I could see more people coming back. Maybe. I think a lot of people are in the market because there's really no choice for the last 15 years. Right. It, it, and I, I agree I, with that. I mean, if you, if you go out there and you can buy a relatively safe investment that yields you 5%, if you pull people over 65 years old and said, hey, what, inter what, what rate of return would you be happy with making? Right. If you just yeah. asked them, I think in general, the answer to that is five or between six five to seven. There you go. If well, you just pulled average retail. Investors. Right now, you can go get four point one in a money market fund. Why, why is the person who's happy with a five percent rate of return? What would be the catalyst to make that person go from their money market fund that pays four point one percent or their bond fund that's yielding five percent right now? What would be the catalyst to make them get back in the market? I think some of this money, once it's out. Understanding your time horizon. No, I, I understand that. Yeah, but yeah. I still think that there's a certain amount of people that if you're happy with five, why would you get back in the market? I mean, as a young investor, you would. But if you're 68 years old and you've done your planning and you're like, man, I don't really need risk. If I make 4%, everything's good. I don't know if those people are coming back. Now, they were in the market before 2022 and they were probably in the market last year why because well, the money market yield was half a percent or less your bank page a 0.13 the best cd you could get was one for five years all this craziness in the in the fixed income world just crazy low rates well that's not reality now and i don't know as if we're going i don't know as if we're ever going back to that environment where you earn zero in your bank account 
If you think about where we are today, we're in a much more normalized interest rate environment than we've been in for the last, basically since the financial crisis. Like we're in a significantly different interest rate environment. And while it's detrimental to borrowers, kind of, you know, it's detrimental to borrowers if you're looking back over the last three years, it's advantageous for the people who are living off their investments at this point. Yeah. You know, we're back to where you get rewarded for owning high yield debt, you know, high yield, you know, high yield fund. What's it yielding? Six and a half, seven. Like that's probably what you should get on that fund for the risk you're taking. Right. So we transitioned from really, there was no alternatives because you had to be invested in stocks to get any growth. And now there's reasonable alternatives. So it'll be interesting. I don't think Elias, I don't see. think people, I don't believe People who wanted to be in the market really left the market. Last year wasn't that bad. I mean, if you were a pure equity investor, you're down around 18%-ish, depending upon your asset allocation. Maybe it was 16, maybe it's 20. Depends on where you were from an asset allocation standpoint. It was bad for the people who had allocations to bonds that they didn't think would go down between 13 and 20%. Right. Those yeah. people I had are who, several, several people last year tell me they didn't know bonds could go down in value. A lot of people probably thought that you've had a 30 year bull market in bonds. Why would we think they go down much? Mm -hmm. But now we've reset. And the question becomes, do we think rates are going significantly higher? And I think based upon what the conversation was, the Fed yesterday, they may go higher, but a lot of it's already priced in the market. So so we kind of eliminate. Not eliminate, but maybe that that risk of rising rates and making bonds go down in value is, you know, mitigated a little bit. Maybe now we're just back to, hey, we get a 5% yield, we clip the coupon, and we, we're really happy with that. So do you think, okay, so do you think you'll see more more conservative investors that did stay in the market? Do you think they'll start to rebalance out of the market into fixed income? Yeah, I think so. I do. I think you're going to see the, the investor who's, you know, the investor who had a 60% bond, 40% stock portfolio. I could absolutely see them rotating back, in, back into fixed income. If they, those people are happy with 5%. Right. And now if they have some positions that they can clean up on this rally. Yeah. So I guess what you probably can't get too greedy because I don't think anyone believes the market's going to be back to all time high anytime soon, but if you look through your portfolio, you might have some opportunities to maybe cut cut bait, but you're not cutting as big a loss as you would have over the last 12 months. How long does it really take to get back to all-time highs? I mean, how far are we? I mean, we're not – I don't know. I guess I'd be shocked if it happened this year. I mean – But then again, I don't try to predict what happens. It could happen. I mean, what's the market up year to date? It's got to be up six, seven percent. Year to date, the S and P's up eight point nine three, as of right now. Yeah, and it's not. We're it down eighteen. It so be the, right, it, it wouldn't be the first time all the con I, all consensus end of the year price targets were wrong. That's pretty typical. I wouldn't be shocked if we hit an all time high, or at least get back to there near the end of the year. I, I mean, we're looking at all time high in the range of forty, forty seven hundred ish. So we're like 15% off of it. It's reasonable. If you go back and look at, 
year by year returns of the S&P 500 and years where it was down double digits, go look at the 20% return years. So if we're down 18, we probably need like 27 to 28% return this year to get back to normal. I think, I mean, we, we're up, you know, 8%, well, it's up 9%, 9.08 now as we talk. It's one month. So markets are volatile. This is absolutely 100% why we talk to people about, you can't time this stuff. I had someone the other day, he's a, he day trades a little bit, his fun money. Right, it's he calls it his MGM money. It's the money he'd spend at MGM. He made a comment to me. He goes, "Man, it's really easy to buy stuff. It's really easy to sell stuff. It's easy to sell. It's really hard to figure out when to get back in, especially when it goes up. You know, when there's volatility oh, yeah. in the market and something falls thirteen percent, and you can snatch it and buy it, and then sell it. Well, yeah, that that's not quite as hard." But what do you do when it goes up 10%? You're going to rebuy it? You're not, they're not the opportunities when everything goes up. No, and we, we've talked about that a lot, especially the last couple of years to help investors just be convicted and staying invested and staying in the market because of really the psychology and the emotions of it. If you're, if you miss out on a 10% rally, you're just naturally going to think, well, I'll just wait and see if it comes back down. You have no idea if you're ever going to get to that price. This again. is 100% the reason the stock markets into the last four Fed meetings have been bought up. Because they know once the train leaves the station, it's hard to get on the train. Who's buying today? If you if you weren't in yesterday or the day before, before the Fed meeting, who's going to buy today? Because what today? are you thinking? Are you at like, well, there's... Psychologically, you're going, oh, I'm going to wait for it to come back a little bit. The next thing you know, it runs another four or five percent, and then guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to buy. You'd have been better off not trying to time the market right. to stay in the dang thing. Well, that yeah, and we know that's true. I mean, you can look at every every metric of investing, and most often, the amount of time someone's been invested typically is the biggest signal to how successful they've been with their portfolio. Um. Yeah, it, it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how everything plays out. I feel like most investors, especially right now, if you look at your account and just kind of really think about what's happened over the last two to three years, I really don't know how, other than it's a little bit painful, I don't know how anyone that stayed invested could really be like that upset about it. I mean, three years ago, if we said, hey, we're going to have this massive rally, then we're going to have a year where you lose value, then we're going to come into another year where, like, in general, what are people down right now? Like, I mean, it depends 12? on the allocation, but. Good example. Last year, we had individuals write large checks. Basically, you know, I'm talking about 2021, December of 2021, right at the top of the market, wrote big checks. They're not, they weren't that happy, but guess what? One of them did wrote another check in August. He's feeling good now. He's probably close to back to even because he probably. did some good investing where, you know, those are the only people that aren't feeling good about being in the market. The last three years are the ones who haven't been in the market the last three years, right? If you deployed capital in November, October, November, December, 2021, like large chunks of capital, 
you're the only people who aren't happy the last three years, unless you just had a horrible asset allocation. Because you're still up a lot of money from where you were, even pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, what was the Dow? The Dow was, and I know I'm referring to the Dow because everybody kind of looks at that number. I know it's not maybe the greatest reflection of the market. But pre-COVID, the Dow was like 26-ish thousand. It's 33, 8 or so today. It's still up, you know, 20, 30% pre-COVID. Well, what are you expecting each year? If you make 8 to 11% a year, shouldn't you be like fairly happy on average? Right. And if we never, if we want to have had the, which I think a lot of people understand with the excess money that was pumped into the economy. So that really inflated risk assets. Just like you can just think about what cryptocurrencies were trading at and all those things. But had we not had that event and this is where the market was priced today, there would probably be, no one would probably be that upset about it. I just Googled this and because I knew we were going to talk about it. We didn't really plan on talking about it, but you brought it up. You, you're like, I don't know who expects to go back to all-time highs. We did shows on this like six months ago, average bear market. Remember how many months the average bear market is? It's almost three years. No, it's 9.6 months. The longest, the, average? the longest bear market was three years. The average bear market's 9.6 months. So, okay, so I was confusing those. So the longest is three years, average is 9.6 months. Less so, than a year. So okay. start to think about this. What's May? I, mean, we, I think we hit the bear market officially like in May of last year. Probably. That has us coming out of a bear market, arguably, on average, February, March of this year. So maybe everything that everybody said last year, we've never seen this before. It's so totally different. It's different this time. Maybe it's just exactly like all the other ones. No, We've said that for a long no, time. No, it's different this time. It's always different this time. But yeah, it's different because we haven't seen this scenario. And if we, and here's, here's why people always say it's different this time. If we'd actually seen this scenario before, the markets would have already reacted and when this never would have happened because they would have known how to react. It's always different. And that's why markets don't know exactly how to price and how to react because they don't know the outcome. So every single time there's a bear market, we're always going to say it's different this time. Yeah, but the results well, over 10 years are probably very similar probably. to the previous bearable markets we've always had. Yeah, that that's probably true. And really, you could actually, I'm sure you could make an argument that what has happened the last year should be expected in this type of environment. Okay, so let, let's talk about just investor behavior because this is super interesting. I pulled a re we pulled a review. I have a client, a review with the client this morning. We printed this review like two days ago. So the market's even better than it was two days ago. Her rolling 12 month return was down 3.36%, 92% equities. So think about that. If this investor hadn't checked her statement for a year, she's seen a 3% loss. Now, who's gonna, yeah, but to level set it, who's gonna get up? But to level that? set this, she was down 17 and some change last year. But this year, year to date, she's up seven. That was before today. So if we get away from this, we have to check and see how much is in our account every day. A lot of the toll people are taking on themselves and the human emotion that goes into this, they don't have to worry about it. 
Like, yeah. all, think about how people felt last year. They thought, oh my gosh, I lost all this money. No, if you didn't sell, you didn't lose anything. If you had exhibited good investor behavior and you added more money, and this client actually add the systematic contributions, so she added money at different times throughout the year, she's going to look at this and say, man, that's not that bad. Yeah, I have a good, so I have a good story about that. Another young client of our firm, he said this year when the market was going down, he made his goal. And I thought this was a really insightful thing, but it's not, if you're older, the older you would be, this wouldn't be possible, but he's at an age and he's a super saver. He's doing a really good job. So when the market was starting to go down, he said, I made a goal that I want my account to be even at the end of the year. And what he meant by that, I'm going to contribute enough to make up for the losses just so I can look at it and feel better about it. And I congratulated him on that. I said, that's actually, that's a really reasonable goal where you're at with investing. And it's also something he's controlling what he can control, right? He knows he can't control the fluctuations, but he took advantage of a bear market this year. And younger people that did that or anyone who took advantage of the bear market this year, that's really where you're going to make your long-term gains. Like you make, you can make a lot of money in a bear market by continuing to buy. So don't, you know, in two or three years, five years after the market rallies, you know, don't, don't forget about that too. And I've told plenty of people that this year, this isn't, we're going to get through this and this isn't the last bear market we're going to experience. It's going to happen again. I mean, it's the last bear market for people who are maybe 85 and 90 years old, maybe something. And I'm not saying it won't, like it won't be their last one, but statistically it very well could be. But for most people, it's not the last one. You're going to have to get through this again at some point. So what's interesting is I, yeah, I'm looking at this outline and um, we prepared this a week ago. But it's kind of funny how much stuff changes. And one of the things we were oh, talking about. The, all these articles are like off now. Yes, but They're this not is Not by a lot, but it's a, just a little bit different perspective today so, than it was a week ago. So was it last... Maybe it was Monday night. My wife goes, hey, honey, you know, they're going to raise interest rates again. I'm like, yeah, that's old news. But, you know, people that aren't people that aren't dialed into what we listen to and we watch and we study every day, they think, oh, interest rates go up. So that means mortgage rates are going up. Borrowing rates are going up and my CD rates are going up. That's what they think, right? Yeah. When they hear interest rates go up. Well, all the interest rates are really based off of the, the fed, the feds fund future rate and the yields. And this is, we're looking right at this article we had, we did this last week on the radio show. The yields were all pointing to a change in monetary policy. They were all pointing there because bond yields had been down the last few months. And I've been calling my, my, uh, my buddy, my private banker, mortgage lender, like once a week, I'm like, what are rates? And I called them the other week. I'm like, what are what are 30 year mortgage rates? And I'm just getting a feel for where the market's moving, right? Five and a half. You remember when I called them like four months ago? He's like seven and a quarter. They're five and a half on a 30 year fixed. And while that doesn't seem attractive to two years ago, it's highly attractive compared to four months ago. So well, the market his, has historically been, that's still a very fair rate to get on a thirty-year mortgage. The market's been anticipating this, and I always joke with my wife, I'm like the market's typically right. 
And, and right. I, I go back to the night Trump got elected. I woke up. It was like one o'clock and the, the election hadn't been called. So this is what, 2016? And the market was down like a thousand points. And I told my wife, I'm like, Trump won. She goes, how do you know? They haven't decided. I'm like, the market's down a thousand points. The market knows. Trump won. Sure enough, guess who won? Whether that was the right reaction or not, remember the market likes more certainty. That was an uncertain outcome to that election. Yeah. That Just like this, card. the mark, the, the, the interest rate market had been pricing in this change in monetary policy. And sure enough, guess what happened? There wasn't a necessarily shift, but the tone in the Fed the, yeah, there hasn't significantly been significantly different. Yes. There hasn't I been mean, an official change, but up until this point, it's been I'm big and tough and you can't push the Fed around. And yesterday they kind of pulled all that back. Elias, that was a lot of good general information about the market. And I think it's important to kind of keep people abreast as to what's going on. But another thing that's coming up for everybody, and it's rapidly approaching. In fact, I got an email from my guy today is it's time to file taxes. It's getting close. People probably got a lot of their 1099s. Um, a couple things about 1099s. Everybody thinks the 1099s have to go out in January. For employment income or contractor income, yes. 1099s for investments can come out all the way till April. So I've already fielded a couple phone calls. So I it, thought these have to be out by January. Yep, every year we have the same thing. <clears throat> if you go to our website, btwealth.com, Jesus, I got the website wrong. Uh, you know, if you go to our website, btwellshow.com, we can, we can, you know, print out when we're releasing ours. Uh, and LPL is our broker dealer. You can also go to premieriwm.com to get those as well. But the, we have an entire kind of list is when people should expect to get those 1099s. And 1099s for like IRA distributions, those typically are all out in January. It's the 1099s you end up getting and tax, tax documents you get for your non-qualified accounts. Maybe you have like an MLP fund or you know some other investment. Those can take longer to come out. So first thing I want people to know, if you don't have all your stuff yet, don't get excited. It's going to come. I have one client that they get theirs every year about March 10th. So we have a meeting March 15th to make sure they have all their documents to take to their, to their tax guy. And I know some people think they're getting a refund and they're excited to get that. That's wonderful. What you can do to not get the refund is claim the right deduction so you don't give the government an interest-free loan all year. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> idea. That, that could help your cash I mean, flow situation. When people tell me they're getting a big refund, I'm like, well, you just didn't do your deductions correctly because you just gave the government a bunch of money to use all year long. And it probably wasn't a big deal when interest rates were at zero, but when you get 4% in a money market, you might want to keep that money. I get, Or I, I'll get a kick out of like someone who just recently transitioned to retirement. And well, I always, I've always got a tax refund when, when I was working and then I barely got any now. Well, it's because you're, we're withholding the right amount of taxes. Like you really shouldn't get a huge refund. On the other side, you probably don't want to pay in a lot at the end of the year. So if you can be close to even, that's really where you want to be. That's the wheelhouse, as you know, close to even as possible. And there's actually a way to figure out if you believe you're going to pay in too much. Everybody gets a payroll statement, and it shows how much they're withholding for federal, how much they're withholding for state. And you can put your tax return from last year and say, oh, look, I paid in a total tax amount of 
what, $13,000. I'll make something up, $13,000. Well, you could easily say, well, they're withholding, you know, $600 per pay period. That's $1,200 a month. That's $14,400 per year. They're going to withhold more than I probably have to pay. And I did this for myself because I got my, my first pay, paycheck statement. And I'm like, this is weird. Like my paycheck is a lot lower than usual. Well, I went back and looked at what I claimed. I claimed single zero deduction. So they're withholding the maximum amount they can withhold from my check, which is fine because I have to make estimates anyway. But I went and figured out, okay, how much am I paying in and what are my estimates now? So I don't overpay the government more than what I'm going to have to pay them because the one thing I don't want to do is give them more money to hold on to that, that they're not entitled to. I'm not trying to underpay, just I'm only giving them what they're entitled to pay. So just a couple key dates for this year. Uh, the, the deadline to file your return this year is April 18th, unless you're going to file an extension, but then the extension needs to be filed by April 18th. And, you know, if you're not working with a CPA, you have to know these dates. I, you know, people always ask me whether they should use a CPA or accountant in, and, and I'm an advocate for delegating things you don't want to be a professional in. And I, I give you a good example. I, I, I had a, I had a friend of mine call me up and said, Hey, I got this 1099 for this. And it was a rollover. He goes, where do I put that on the turbo tax from? I'm like, I don't know. I don't do my own taxes. I don't do turbo tax. And you know, they, they wanted my help with it. I'm like, I don't do tax returns. Like, could I figure it out? Yeah. But this is like a friend of mine thinking I'm going to do their tax return. I'm like, why don't, why don't you have a tax guy do this? Well, I don't want to pay him 150 bucks, but why? Pay him 150 bucks or whatever. I don't even know what it costs. But I'm an advocate for having somebody do this because if you want to get it done right, get all the tax deductions you're legally entitled to, having a professional do it is the way to go. Yeah, it, it might be simple, but if you mess it up, don't you want someone to help you fix it? Yeah, it only takes a I couple do. of checked wrong boxes that you check to mess it up. So here, so here's how you decide. You just, you just do it. You just hire a CPA, have them file your taxes. It's and really, if you price all that stuff out, I think there are some free, free tax services online that you can file and not pay anything. But you actually have to understand what you're doing. So that's that's a suitable option for some people. But for a lot of people, easiest thing to do. Just hire someone to do it. Even if you hire like an H and R block or somebody like that's just real easy. If if you have if you don't have if you're not itemizing your deductions and you don't really have anything different about your tax return, just going to H and R block to, to file it for you is fine. One thing I want people to, to also recognize is most of the ways you get refer most of the way you find your CPA or your tax guy or gal is through referral. Ask that person what kind of taxes they specialize in. Because if I go refer a 65-year-old retiree who has a pension, IPER, you know, has a pension, Social Security, and gets a little money from their investments, we don't want to send them to the CPA that specializes in business returns and farm returns. Because by doing that, we're sending them to the most expensive option out there. 
Right, and their you, their situation is very simple. And you don't want to get a surprise, like, wait a minute, I paid eight hundred and fifty to file eight hundred fifty dollars to file a tax return. Well, it's because you went to the guy who specializes in something, and that's what it costs to do business with him. So know where you're going. And I know, like at our office, when we refer people, we have a couple of different places we refer people, depending upon what their unique situation is. You know, if you've got a complicated farm return, I know where we're going to send you. If you right, just or got, if you own a business. If you own a business, if you've got, you know, just a pretty simple return, we have a different place we're going to send you. And it's not because one's better than the other. They're priced differently based upon what services they're offering. Yeah, right. We're trying to match the level of service with the, the level of the customer need, right? Exactly. That's really, so just, yeah, that's a good thing to keep in mind too, because you don't need, if you have like a couple... 1099s or W-2s and you just, and especially if you're working, if you're in a house where both people are working, most likely you're just going to take the standard deduction. You don't need to go to a, you don't need to go to a very expensive accountant. A lot of people can help you file that return for, so the vast majority of people don't have a complex tax situation. Well, Lies, with that said, appreciate everybody listening to the show. If you're looking for help with anything, you can go to btwellshow.com. Look forward to uh, next week's episode. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, Consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.